Hello, this is Christopher Eck. I am the lead pastor at Bethany Covenant Church in Bedford, New Hampshire. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this message inspires, helps, and encourages you as you seek to live your life with Jesus. For more information about our church or to support the ministry, visit BethanyCovenant.com. Enjoy the message. We're starting our series um, um, last week on Inner Circle, but I want to, before we jump into it, I got to tell you something. I've been sleeping on something. I've been neglecting something. And it's something that a lot of you may, maybe not, have been investing in, but I have not watched any of The Chosen. Has people, have people here watched The Chosen, the TV show? Yeah, there's like a decent amount of people. So I, not, not for any reason. I, I just, you know, never really got around to it. Um, I think Tracy Wyman gave me the DVD like four years ago and it just sat on top of my uh, DVD player. So I think we got that back to you, Tracy. Um, but I just haven't spent any time with it. Until this past week, I was um, at home uh, for Christmas, um, and my cousin told me about it, and we talked about it the entirety of our Christmas dinner, which was better than politics, so I was okay with it. And he said, you know, next time you preach, just check and see if there's a scene in the show that, that goes along with the scripture. So I did. So I pulled it up, and if you don't know, Chosen, it's a TV show that takes you through the gospel. It tries to make Jesus and the disciples uh, relatable people so you can see and act out, you know, be able to see what those stories might have looked like. Um, and I have to tell you, I only watched one clip. I just watched one clip, and I had to pause it midway through because I was emotionally compromised. <laughs> I realized I was, like, tearing up watching this scene. Now, I had watched, I, I skipped to the very end of the episode. I haven't watched any other ones. And I just watched this one clip. It was about seven minutes long. I'm a story-driven person. Like, I love TV shows. I love movies. I love plays. Um, I got a degree in English because I, I just love stories. I love being part of them. I love telling them. And any good TV show, any, even any good movie, really plays on that relationship between the viewer and the audience. I mean, and the, and the actor, the audience and the actor. And I think that this show has done a really good job of bringing us into the scenes that we know from Scripture. So I was, I was sitting there. I had a bowl of pasta. I'd heaten up. I'm eating lunch, and I'm kind of watching and eating and watching. And I just had to pause it. Because the scene that I was looking at, which we're going to look at today was so real, and it allowed me to put myself in the position of the characters, of the real people that we find in the scripture. The scene is one you might know. It's Jesus early in his ministry, and he's sitting by a, a, a well, a well. Real quick, I also, like I said, spent a week in the South, so whale and well are the same word for the next 30 minutes, okay? <laughs> Just, I don't want to hear it. I don't know how to distinguish between the two, so... Jesus is sitting beside a watering well, and a woman from Samaria comes up to him. And the scene plays out in John 4, and we'll look into it, but the interesting thing is that the disciples have left. The people that make up his inner circle, they've gone into town to get food. He's there, this woman walks up, and while he's waiting for his disciples to get back, he speaks to her. He speaks to her directly in a personal, a caring way. It doesn't bother him that she's Samaritan. 
which probably it should have. At that time period, Jesus' people had nothing to do with the Samaritans. They were a people that were seen as unclean. And he doesn't seem to be concerned that she's a woman, which even more so at that time, men didn't speak to in public, especially important teachers. And it doesn't seem that he cares that he's talking to this woman in particular, who has a story. She is someone that had been married five times. She, she knows this. He knows this. He tells her, I know this about you. And this is in a time period where like three marriages was like, what are you doing? And she's got five. And the man she's with now is not her husband. And yet, even though the rest of the town sees her as an outcast, she's at the well at this time period because it's the middle of the day. She doesn't want to be around anybody because she knows what to expect when she's around people. She expects criticism. She expects damnation even. And she doesn't want any more of that. So she comes at the middle of the day, but she finds Jesus here. And she's used to people ignoring her as well. But he does none of these things. He doesn't ignore her. He doesn't damn her. He doesn't criticize her. Instead, he just speaks to her. And the scene in The Chosen, they, they choose this to be the last scene of the last episode of their first season. And I, I know why. Because it's a moment that encapsulates so many parts of a wish that I think we all have. It's a, it, it puts into a visual little trinket, something that we all want. want. And that's a personal one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus. And that's, I think, why I was so moved and it hit me so hard is because what that woman was experiencing is what so many of us, myself included, would want probably above almost anything else to have the one who made me, who knows me fully, speak my life to me in a way that was not filled with criticism. Because Jesus, and she'll say later, she, the, the woman will say, this man has said everything that I've ever done. But she says it in an exciting way. And a lot of what she'd done wasn't great. But he says it in a way that makes her feel heard and known and loved and forgiven. And she gets to have that conversation, like, three feet away maybe from him. And so this scene shows that, and it draws us into it. And I cried all over my pasta because <laughs> I can read this in the text, but when we see it and it done well, and this is not a blanket recommendation of The Chosen. I, literally, I didn't watch anything else. That's the only part I've seen. But here, it allowed us to see a moment where our God loves us fully, who knows us fully, and just takes a moment with us. And this is the type of moment that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, those closest 12, this is the kind of moment that they got every day for three years. Imagine spending every single day with the one who made you and knows you and has set you on a mission. They got to have that. And so that's why we're spending the next couple weeks doing this series called Inner Circle because we want to look at those moments when it was just Jesus and the disciples. Because when you're with people, and I'm sure if I asked you to, you know, pick three or four people in your life, that if you sat down in a conversation, there would be no barriers. I hope you have people like that, like where you just, everything's known, there's no secrets, you can speak into their life, they'll speak into your life, 
Sometimes it might be the most uncomfortable conversation of the day, but you can have it because you trust them. That's the kind of conversation that Jesus was able to have all the time with his disciples. So we want to look at those moments in particular and see what he told them and what he taught them at those opportunities. Because today we're going to look at the conversation between Jesus and the woman just a little bit, but what we're going to focus on more is what happens after the woman leaves and the disciples come back. Because the disciples have gone into town to get food and left Jesus at the watering place. And when they come back, a couple of interesting things happen. Because it's the disciples' response to the scene where I think the most instruction can be found for us today. Because Jesus is able in this moment of active ministry, like Jesus is literally doing the work of God, and they get to come into the midst of it. And in that moment, he's able to hone in on some remaining brokenness in his disciples' lives. And it's a brokenness that we share today. Because just like us, each and every one of the disciples were in process. They were in the midst of a transition from one life to the next. Jesus offers fullness of life, right? He offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But the, the work of bringing us into a place where all of the, of the trappings of our last life are gone away, that, that takes time. So the disciples are in the midst of that, just as we are. And the Spirit reveals in us these things, and that's what Jesus does in this moment of ministry. In this scene, it shows how removing barriers between people allows us to not just reach those closest to us, but the whole world. So I've already summed up the story a lot, so I won't, I, let me just do a quick recap. Jesus is by the well, a Samaritan woman who comes up to him, and Jesus speaks to her of living water, of true worship, and even more so, he confirms to her that he's the Messiah, that he is the chosen one, he is the Christ. And this is only the second person he's done this to in the Gospel of John. He chooses this woman, like, as far as like people you would expect to get this news first, unlikely it would be her. But he chooses her to reveal who he truly is. And in that moment, the disciples come back. The disciples return. So listen now. This is from John chapter 4, verse 27 and following. This is the response to the, the, the disciples have to Jesus' moment. It starts and says, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Not the woman, but a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. But in the meantime, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I love this scene. And again, if you want to check out The Chosen, I, I totally recommend it. Because this is a clear look inside the inner circle of Jesus and his disciples. The the realness of their conversation, their thoughts being put out there, um, brings me to my next point. How difficult it would have been to have been in this inner circle. Because even in this moment where the disciples don't say what they're thinking, he still knows. 
Like, otherwise, how do we have this? Like, he knows what they're thinking. Like, I can just, I can't remember if they showed this in the scene, but as the disciples are walking up, here is their rabbi, their teacher, sitting with a strange woman. She wasn't strange. It was strange that she was a woman and he was talking to her. But they don't say anything, but they think it. He knows what's going on in their heart, and he knows what's going on in their mind. And if that had been me, I wouldn't have remained silent, because I can't. Like, I, I, I do pretty well um, when I'm in a place like this. I would say if the pastors that preach here, I'm probably on the bottom rung of keeping my mouth shut from things I shouldn't say, but I still do an okay job um, in a circle, like in an official, you know, like if I'm meeting people I don't know. I can keep my foot far from my mouth. But at staff meeting, I say whatever I want. And, and, and it can get me into trouble sometimes. I have a hard time when I'm with people I trust, not just saying what I think. And that's what I think the disciples in this moment are keeping from. But I, I, I actually got a little reward this year because of this. Uh, Pastor Chris got us a fantastic Christmas present. Uh, he got us candles. Um, just kidding, Chris. It was great. Um, but the fun thing about it was that each candle was personalized. And we got to open the candle and then see what the inscription was or what the saying was and say which staff member deserved this candle. I can't remember which one he bought for me because the one that was open was almost immediately universally voted on as for me. And it was, shh, just shh. <laughs> and I, I love this. I will never light it. Because that is such a, a wonderful reminder uh, that I will immediately forget. Um, because the disciple, but the disciples did pretty good with it. But what we do get is the truth that they were surprised. Why were they surprised? At this point, they'd seen Jesus speak with a lot of different people. It's early on in the ministry, but he's been doing, you know, work here and there. He's been at the wedding, Cana. He's talked to different uh, uh, rabbis. So why is he surprised? Well, he's surprised because this woman encapsulates almost every prejudice that you could have if you were a Jew in the first century. Like, if you put all of the things that people didn't like into one person, and you were a holy person, it would be this woman. Maybe you have someone in your life like this. We won't name names. But here, there is a prejudice that prevents them from seeing the miracle that's happening. And they're surprised because of their broken understanding of what makes a person worthy and the priorities that God has set. They're surprised, one, because, yes, she's a Samaritan. A little rundown on Samaritans. The Samaritans and the Jews disliked each other. We don't know exactly the origins of the Samaritan people because it came in a time that was broken by war, but they were people that were once Jews that got separated. And in that time of separation, they, the Jews thought that they intermingled with the wrong people. In the Harry Potter world, this would be mudbloods. They're not pure. And in this moment, when they come back, the Jews say, we'll have nothing to do with you. They were seen also as worshiping in the wrong places and in the wrong ways. Their Torah, the, their holy books, was a, were a little bit different. And this was a mutual dislike. The, the Samaritans didn't like the Jews any more than the Samaritans. Like, I mean, the Jews liked the Samaritans, the Samaritans liked the Jews anymore. But it was pretty extreme. And unlike most prejudices, things got, ex, you know, got unheard of. Rabbis at the time actually said that Samaritan women were in constant state from the cradle to the grave of menstruation. 
bogus. Broken understanding. I know, you laugh. Can you imagine? Um, but that's the way that they denigrated them. Because to be in, you know, anywhere near a woman at that time was to make her unclean and you unclean. So they dehumanized them. And then they also just separated. So in this moment, when Jesus is sitting with the Samaritan, he goes a step further and asks her for water. He is, in the disciples' views, breaking all of the wrong rules. But that's probably not the biggest issue. The biggest issue that crosses boundaries, crosses cultural you know, you know, territories, countries, is that she's a woman. People like Jesus didn't talk to women. Men in general did not talk to women in the Jewish community. There was so much written about this. I, I found more than I needed. There was this one writer. It said that Jewish thought held that for a rabbi, a teacher, to talk much with a woman, even his own wife, was at best a waste of time and at worst a diversion from the study of Torah, the scripture, and therefore potentially a great evil that could lead to hell. Husbands, I don't recommend using this as a proof text. I'm sorry, I can't speak with you. I don't want to go to hell. Um, you will be sent somewhere um, more immediately. But at the time, this was a serious teaching. And think of what that did to the genders, to the sexes. It separated them. But even more so, listen to this. It says, some rabbis went so far as to suggest that to provide their daughters with knowledge of the scripture was as inappropriate as to teach them lechery, to sell them into prostitution. Another Jewish teacher at the time said, one should not talk with a woman on the street, not even his own wife, certainly not somebody else's wife, because of the gossip of men. So when some texts translate this, and sometimes they do, it's innocent enough, but I think it's not quite as accurate. When sometimes they say that they're surprised, that the disciples are surprised that he's talking to the woman, the proper you know, article there is a woman. He could have been talking to anybody. And if she was a woman, they would have been flabbergasted because that just didn't happen at the time. And to be fair, the Samaritan woman is just as surprised that this teacher's talking to her. When, she asks, when he asks her for a drink of water, I don't think he ever gets the water, honestly. I read it. Like, he never gets his water because she's so surprised that he's talking to her. But this is what prejudice does. And to define prejudice here, for prejudice, you know, if you look up in the dictionary, is, is an assumption made not on reason or experience. But I think as Christians, we have to go a little further and say that any prejudice is any assumption made not made on divine reason or divine experience. And what is happening in this moment is a scene that you could find in a lot of different ways, but in a very similar vibe. And Jesus is just pushing against it. The second thing that Jesus is going to call out, in addition to this prejudice, is priority. When the disciples return, the first thing they say to him is what? Eat. We got the food you wanted. We've done a good job. Here's your favorite foods. And Jesus says to them, I don't need to eat. I've got a food that you don't even know about. And in this moment, I think the disciples were just flummoxed. Because what could he possibly be doing with this woman that was of any consequence? She's not worth our time. This is a woman. Eat your food. And as somebody who eats often, um, and as somebody who usually uses food to comfort me, I can, I can understand their confusion. 
we just, like I said, got back from the Winterfest um, on Sunday last, and my wife and I, I think, have, have basically spent every waking moment either getting through work as quick as possible and going back to the couch to rest um, or eating. That's basically how we've recovered from this trip. I have cooked more this past week, I think, than I have in a long time just because I'm tired and I just want to cook and I just want to eat. I mean, potato chips last night. Who ever needs to make potato chips? I did. And I made them last night and I ate them like, just like a monster over my sink. Like it was amazing. Like food is comforting to me and it's a priority to me. But what Jesus in this moment is saying is that it's of lesser consequence than the conversation, than the gospel work that's happening right here. He knows the disciples can't see it, and he wants to push against their prejudice, but he also wants to push against their priority and say, do you see the miracle that's happening right now? This is why we're here. God will take care of the food. All of that's taken care of. Jesus will speak on this in chapter 5 when he goes through his Sermon on the Mount. He says, you know, God's going to provide the things you need, but focus on the work of the kingdom. And that's what's happening right here, but they can't see it because of their prejudice and their priority. And that's the lesson for us today. What are the prejudices? What are the broken understandings that we have of other people? And what is the misordered priorities that we're living by that's keeping us from doing the work that God put us here to do? What can we glean from this text? I think that we're pretty much in the same place as the disciples, except The broken reasoning and the broken experiences have shaped different prejudices, but that we still need to call out. Are there people in your life that you would have nothing to do with because of where they come from, because of their history, because of their story, because of their religion, because of their politics, because of how they treat their family, how they don't treat their family? The great thing, and Jesus does this all the time, it's God's way, what he does in this moment is he doesn't leave any outs. To the Jews, this Samaritan woman encapsulates every wrong thing, everything that would give you a reason to push her away and says that it's not enough. You still tell her about the gospel. You still treat her with respect. You still talk to her as you would a daughter of God. There's nothing that is held out here. She's a Samaritan. She's from the wrong village. She has a wrong religion. She's kind of a woman, like, she gets around town. Like, she's not, like, the most holy person from what we can tell, somebody that you're not going to spend time with. And, above all else, she says that the temple should be not in Jerusalem, but at another place, which doesn't sound crazy to us, but to a Jew that's unheard of. Every thought that she has was contrary, and Jesus instead meets her and says, hey, well, let me tell you about a God who loves you and about what true worship looks like. Forget all that other stuff. He just looks at her and sees her in the image of God, which we all carry. And what's also amazing, and I think good for us to call ourselves out on, is that the disciples say that they're surprised to see Jesus talking with her. But they're never surprised that Jesus talks to them. And they should be. I don't know if you remember where these guys come from, but you got a half dozen fishermen a couple of chumps from a no-name town, which people literally said, could anything good come from? You've got a tax collector that everyone hated. This is not like the prime people that you spend time with. And yet they see Jesus talking to a woman. They're like, well, why, is he, why is he talking with people like her? Why is he talking with you? And it's a good moment to check myself too. Why is he talking to me? Well, it's because he loves us. And he sees us in the same way that he sees this Samaritan woman as a child of God in need of salvation who can receive the forgiveness that he offers 
and then be put on a path towards eternal life. That's why. That's why he's talking to her. That's why he talks to us. But it's hard for us to see this if we don't challenge these priorities and prejudices. When it comes to priorities, that's easier, I feel like. We can know what we're putting in front of God in our life. For the disciples, it was something as simple as food that was distracting them. We often have much more complex things. But they're just as useless and just as unworthy of our time compared to doing the work that he set us to do. So I'm going to invite Pastor JT up because today we get the opportunity to come to the table and experience a moment like the disciples received, like the Samaritan woman received. No, Jesus, Jesus, see, it's the South, man. Um, Jesus is not physically present here in this first pew, so I can't look directly at him. But I can look at his people. And I can know that his spirit is here in this place. And so as we go through this sacrament, which is just a moment where heaven and earth come close, a physical representation of the good work that God is doing, ask yourself, Lord, reveal as if you're sitting right next to me the broken ways I'm seeing people that are keeping me from them and the priorities that I have set above and beyond what you have for me. And know that he is going to be just as kind and just as corrective as he was with that woman. JT? Yeah, I'll pray. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here in this place. Thank you for the patience that you have with us. As you display in this story, Lord, you you know where we come from, and you meet us where we're at, but you don't leave us there. Lord, just as that woman left from this place to tell everyone about what you were doing in her life and what you had told her, allow us to have that same excitement. And if there's anything that's holding us back, Lord, just cut those ties. We thank you for your love and for the life that you offer. In your name we pray.